Today's episode of the Channel 33 Soccer Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling sports and music tickets. SeatGeek makes buying tickets on your phone a total snap. With just two taps, you can instantly buy tickets to an event that same day, have tickets delivered straight to your phone, and enter the event without ever having to print a ticket out. And if you can't go to the game or show, you can sell your tickets directly from the app in less than 30 seconds. With SeatGeek, there's no guesswork. You'll know exactly where you're sitting and what you'll be paying and whether or not you're getting a good deal all right from your phone so drop the old ticket app and experience buying and selling tickets the way it should be to start using SeatGeek, download the free SeatGeek app or go to seatgeek.com Hello and welcome to Channel 33 Soccer Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and as always, I am joined by Ryan O'Hanlon. How you doing, Chris? I love the pregnant pause before you say hello. <laughs> uh, Ryan, thanks for joining me for You'll Never Pot Alone, a two and a half hour podcast about Liverpool's victory over Arsenal. I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's it's only going to be about Danny Ings. I don't think Liverpool we're even going to talk about Liverpool today because we've got so much else to talk about. This is a preview pod. I guess going forward, these will sometimes be earlier in the week. Sometimes they'll be later in the week. Sometimes they won't happen at all. Uh, but at, with one round down in the books of the Premier League, um, let's talk about round two as like a preview. And that way we could chat about teams here and there. We've picked out a couple of games that we wanted to talk about. You'll be delighted, everybody out there, that we're not talking about <laughs> Liverpool. We're going to start with Friday's game. Real quick, when did we decide that we're going to start playing Premier League games on Friday? As far as I know, 20 minutes ago. Yeah, like I, <laughs> that's cool, I guess. What are they going to do? Is that going to happen a lot? Or what are they going to do once Europe starts? I don't think it'll keep happening. Okay, great. Uh, first match we're talking about <laughs> is tomorrow afternoon's match uh, game between Manchester United versus Southampton. It is at Old Trafford. Man U coming off a 3-1 victory over Bournemouth. And Southampton drawing with Watford. And I guess, Ryan, the first thing I want to say or ask is... Manchester United seems like it has its swagger back a little bit because they've got an avatar for that swagger. And that's Laton. Got a goal in his first competitive match. Got a goal in the Community Shield, too, but got his goal, got, got his first league goal on uh, over the weekend. Yeah, it's like... I, I don't think the performance from Manchester United was anything special. I think they sort of... You know, they were given a goal, basically, by Bournemouth in the first half. And going up one nothing sort of changes how they can play. And I think... If there's one manager you don't want to go down one nothing against, it's Jose Mourinho. Right. Um, but like even like last year and the year before, when Man U would play this super boring version of soccer and they would win by a goal, which is basically a lot of like horizontal passing, yeah. and cycling the ball around and cycling the ball, and not very many attempts, right? Yeah, not a lot it, of shots. It would be super uninspiring, even though they won. But now, like even if that happens, like Zlatan is on the field. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. Is like, didn't they? I don't think that they took much they, more shot. They didn't take any more shots on over the weekend than they did under Van yeah, Hall. Yeah, they, they basically hit average. their their shot average. But when Zlatan takes it, it just feels cooler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he is part of the thing that makes him Zlatan is that he can place a ball uh, in the bottom corner from 30 yards out. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. I think that um, one thing I'm going to be really looking forward to in this game, and I know that we're going to talk about this, but just is... Uh, what what does the midfield of Manchester United look like? Um, there's a lot of pieces. There's only so many positions, right? For you, with Pogba coming in, 
Uh, what is the ideal setup for that midfield? I would like to see it be Schneiderlin behind Pogba and Mkhitaryan in the okay. midfield. Yeah, um, and Henrik Mkhitaryan hasn't started, gotten a game yet. He came in on a little, he played a little bit. Little, little, and he then, hasn't started yet. And right? then he is the one who Mourinho subbed in for Mata in the Community Shield because he said Mata was too small to right. be on the field right. uh, in the last five minutes. Um, that's like, as a neutral observer, what I would like to see because I think Schneiderlin is defensive and sort of lets Pogba do the things that we both like watching him do, run up and down the field. Um, and he can cover for Mkhitaryan, who's basically an attacking midfielder, but you'd be playing him in a deeper midfield role. Yeah. Um, I think that's what I would like to see. I don't that that is not going to happen. Um, we didn't see any of those guys in the midfield this game. Uh, I think Ander Herrera is a guy that you and I, as Liverpool fans, have talked about as someone we hoped maybe as, a, as athletic Bilbao fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, as the true Bilbao heads uh, <laughs> of the podcasting world, Herrera is a guy who came to the league with with a degree of fanfare. Yeah. Uh, is considered one of the best young midfielders to come out of spain yeah or at least his first year it seemed like that. yeah and then like, like i feel like he has a very high ceiling and i i don't feel like he bring comes up a lot in the like well he's obviously starting you know yeah. it's like he's he's very peripheral at least in terms of conventional wisdom I, i'll be i can't wait to see what Mourinho does with him i think that he might like him a lot i think he does i mean he we should say he started this game yeah um and he might have been their best player um and he kind of is one of those guys i don't it's unfair to compare anyone to pogba but he's one of those guys that can sort of play a bunch of different midfield roles which i think maybe is why he doesn't get talked about in the same way because it's harder to appreciate someone who can do 15 different things than one guy that does this one thing particularly well okay well we'll look to see what Mourinho does with his midfield uh on uh, over the week on friday and then also, I really, I actually was very impressed with um, Dilly Dilly Blin playing next to Eric Bailly mm-hmm. in the uh, in the defensive on that back in that in, in that central defensive partnership. Yeah, I am always fascinated to see how partnerships define players. Mm-hmm. Um, how just playing next to somebody a little bit more competent or complementary towards your skill set turns you into like woo. Daley Blaine's going to be a center back for 10 yeah. years. Like that's, that's, have, have you noticed that happened with another pairing before? I mean, I, I think it's the, the most obvious one to me is Koscielny and Murtisacker yeah. because Koscielny is like this extremely proactive uh, center back who's sort of leaving the back line, trying to win, win balls that are played in, win right. headers. And Murtisacker is much more reserved and they sort of balance each other out because Anytime a center back sort of steps forward, the other one has to drop back. Is that to typically the, the division of labor where some guy wants somebody goes and somebody stays, and somebody's yeah. somebody's attacking the ball, and the other one is sort of holding the line and yeah, making sure everything is organized? Essentially, if the ball gets past that guy, the right. other guy is covering it. Right. Um, so I think the sort of the organizer slash terrier combination is like the classic defensive uh, center back. Speaking of defensive partnerships and defensive, like you know backbone uh southampton one of the best defenses in the epl i know you're interested to see what happens when united doesn't get that one goal gift in the beginning and what it looks like when they play up against southampton who do they have on that back line uh i think they're the sort of star of it is virgil van dyke mm-hmm. the dude with the ponytail i guess it's a ponytail um that they signed from uh the netherlands last year um 
And then they have Yoshida, Maya Yoshida, who's sort of been the guy that's always been filling in for there are other center backs who have gotten uh, sold like Lovren um, in recent years. So that's the, that was the pairing for this game. Jose Font is on the team still. He could be on Manchester United he's, by then. Yeah. I think he's great. Yeah. Uh, he's the best one of the three probably, but it seems like he's going to be leaving the team. Um, Arsenal's rumored to be buying him, which means... Oh, I thought, I thought United was in for him. I've seen Arsenal too, oh, um, which, which means Arsenal's probably not going to buy him. Um, <laughs> but it, it's sort of with Southampton, it... it is more than like it's more about the system it seems like than the players they always are identifying the guys that they can plug in to keep the machine moving and they're sort of built on this very solid defensive base um and they just plug guys in each year and it sort of keeps trucking along we can move on but one guy that i really enjoy who's been around for a few years there never really got picked up and is now 27 so I think for only the best teams would be attractive because mm-hmm. most teams like to buy a younger yeah. player so they can sell them. Dusan Tadic, mm-hmm. who's their attacking midfielder, um, really like you know one of the top ten in key passes last season. For I just love his creativity. I'm sort of surprised he's never been picked up by a Tottenham or a Chelsea or I guess Chelsea, but Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal, that level of team. It seems like uh, every time Tottenham sells someone, there is then. A tattage talk about how this is actually the guy that the team that bought Adam Lallana should have bought. I mean, they replaced Lallana with Tadic, but there's always sort of a, this is the actual superstar of Southampton, but right. you bought the wrong one. Um, and Tadic, like this Liverpool bought Lallana for some 30, 30 million pounds, something around there, re- replaced him with Tadic for one third of the price. And Tadic has just straight up been better, much better than Lallana has since he's been in the league. Um, but Komen last year, Ronald Komen, their old manager, didn't play him as much as you would think yeah. a team like Southampton would play like their elite near star level player. Um, but yeah, he's up there with the best pass- creative passers in the world and he gives you something defensively too. So I don't, I don't understand really why he fell out of favor last year, but, but he's sort of one of the more unher- unheralded people in the EPL. I we'll, would say. we'll keep our eye. I had Tadic against, um, against United. He may have a lot to do. He, he may get a lot of action mm-hmm. because I do think that they're still looking for some, that defensive midfield for them is still... Yeah, I don't... I don't. If Fili- Mara and Fellaini is playing, I don't really picture him being able to handle Tadic. Right. All right, the next game we want to talk about is Arsenal versus Leicester City. Uh, this is a battle between the defending champions and the second-place team. Ordinarily, this would be like your Christmas Day NBA game. This would be, <laughs> oh, one versus two. How exciting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we... I can't remember more skepticism surrounding a number one and number two table team from last season going into only the second week of the new season. And yet I think people are pretty skeptical, skeptical about Leicester's ability to even get in the top, to get into the top four, much less top six, say. And with Arsenal, this is deja vu all over again, but we're, we're back to Arsenal in crisis. Yeah. I mean, it's, I believe it's, the first time that the top two teams of the league lost their games in the first weekend because i'm pretty sure it's the first time the defending champ lost their opening game um in a premier league season and it is it's it's just crazy to me how it still feels so weird to say like these are the these were the top two teams in the league last year um which i think says something we sort of have i've beaten this horse way too hard um recently but like lester they're they're an outlier in the sense of how they looked and how they yeah. played last year. In, so how in they played history. on the counter, 
and they you, they they basically converted a high level of like not too many shots, right? Yeah, their shooting numbers suggested they should be lower. Yeah, they they had a very low sort of total shooting number. Their shots on target number was a lot higher, which I think you can sort of trace to the fact that they played a very direct style right. down the center of the field, which fails a lot. But when it's successful, you get a good chance. Um, and Arsenal last year, you know, they sort of limped to second place. You know, Tottenham just completely collapsed over the last couple of weeks um, and gave Arsenal second place. So I think that's why we're sort of in this weird situation we're in. Um, but I think I think Arsenal, you can kind of explain away the loss to Liverpool. I mean, they got blown off the field, but they were, they were missing so many players. There was a moment in the second half, or really in the beginning of the second half, as Liverpool had begun to, to completely blitz them. And it was like that 15 minutes of hell for Arsenal. Yeah. And Graham Lasso, who was doing color on the NBC broadcast, said something about all the Liverpool players, or a lot of them, were out there on the field before the second half working on like patterns and movements. And they had coaches who were putting them through paces. And that like some Arsenal players were out there doing keepy ups. And yeah. like that was it. And it, that generally, I think that Arsenal starts slow and. I, I don't know. I, they're, they're, like basically, the suggestion was, and I think that this is a widely held belief, was just that the Arsenal's just not prepared on a on a week to week basis, and they kind of have to get past by on talent. Yeah, I, I mean, if there's a criticism of Arsene Wenger, it's that like Arsenal has a style that they play, but like there aren't really any specific tactics to. Yeah, have they I mean, it. I thought they played well in the first half. Yeah, they. Yeah. I mean, they. They sh- probably should have been up at halftime. They missed a PK, and Coutinho hit a ridiculous free kick yeah. that he typically he's not going to score that most of the time. Um, but the thing is, it's like we talk about how close the top six teams are. I don't think you can just be like, "Oh, we're going to play our eighth and ninth string center backs," and like still try to play the same way that we would normally play, and basically sort of just be like, "Oh well, we don't have a full team." just we're gonna take this i also L. just think that there there's there's the question i mean you see a Wobi and ramsey go off injured which yeah. is just it feels like it happens yeah with such regularity of guys just getting hurt on arsenal i i know that that's unfair but it just doesn't yeah. like that and even if they're ele- like all their players are healthy i don't know i don't know that wenger knows what is the best 11 what are they supposed to do? Now I almost feel like they have too many good defensive like engine room midfielders yeah. and not enough like width or something. I it's it's I, I know they have Sanchez and Chamberlain and Walcott and they can all play on the wings and some of those guys like Ozil can play coming in, but the uh, you know the Coquelin, Xhaka, you know when Wilshire comes back, when Ramsey's back, Gazorla plays well back in towards the center of the park. I'm not really sure what the best eleven is for them. Yeah, and I I think it's more even more specific than that. It's like they have all of these good players and these extremely creative players, and they'll probably be able to overwhelm all of the less talented teams in them. Yeah. But a team like Liverpool, that's the talent level is roughly the same with the starting 11s they're playing and Liverpool is just way, way more prepared for that. I, I feel like Ryan is staring at a, a field of waving corn <laughs> and the field of dreams music is playing in the background. Uh, Leicester's another team that there's been whispers about them being not quite prepared for this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, partied in Thailand. No judgments. That's a value. That's a, <laughs> a value neutral statement to say that they partied in Thailand. Then went on to this ICC challenge where they play a bunch of really mm-hmm. big clubs 
else all over the world. Um, I think that they will probably get their shit together and be like fine. But right now, they they re-signed Mares to this four year deal. I thought James York from Statsbomb had a, a very appropriate tweet about that. The, the, there was similar like yeah. hosannas about Tottenham re-signing Gareth Bale, and he mm-hmm. he was probably sold. Um, but we're gonna find out how important Conte was. Yeah, I mean, it looked the game against Hull. We should also say that we both probably think Hull is going to be maybe the worst team in Premier League history, and they lost to Hull. Um, I think that that game sort of exacerbated um, how badly they're going to miss Conte because uh, his replacement wasn't playing, um, and Andy King, who was sort of this very, very, very... uh, Journeyman, right? Yeah, extreme journeyman player. Um, And in that midfield, they're only playing with two center mids, so there's just so much more onus on a center midfielder in a midfield two than there is in a three just based on sheer numbers. Um, so it looked worse than I think it's going to be. Um, but this game was also sort of a mirror image of what happened last season. They had a ton of chances. Lester versus Holt was a bad yeah, yeah. They had a ton of chances and they just didn't convert at the rate they converted last year. And they give up a goal that was like a double bicycle kick uh by hull which is just not gonna happen that's soccer man (laughs) uh i am going to i'm gonna say that i think arsenal every time arsenal ever like has the fan tv videos and everybody's like is this will wenger make it to christmas i feel like they get two or three wins under their belt i think they'll win this weekend at king power yeah um but i don't think either way if Arsenal loses or, or whatever the way the result goes, I don't think it's disaster time for either team. I just think that they might find themselves on the outside looking in both squads towards the end of the season because of the slow start. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of depends on what your uh, expectations are. If Arsenal True. starts the season with two losses, like that's that's not great. That's, no. a, that's a big hole to get out of already. Right. Um, let's move on to the next game we want to talk about, and that is Stoke City versus Man City. Uh, still coming off a draw 1-1 to Burrow. Man City coming off a victory over Sunderland, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily put Pep on my shoulders for that one. (laughs) Man City broke out some pretty cool tactical stuff. I know that inverted fullbacks is the (laughs) temporary name for this podcast. You were really excited to see Clichy and Sanya playing it's basically as defensive midfielders. Yeah, I've kind of always sort of looked at those two guys and just been like, I need their creativity to be unleashed. Right. Um, on the same, by that same token, Pep also pretty much banished two of the m- most iconic city players of this era of city success. Diallo yeah. Torre, p- p- player of the year a couple times, mm-hmm. and England's number one goalkeeper, Joe Hart. Yeah. Uh, Joe Hart thing I understand sounds like he's just not Manuel Neuer none of us are mm-hmm. uh, and he thinks that somebody else can play the sweeper keeper role that he wants yeah um, yeah yeah I don't really get I, I don't really I don't know I, I think it sort of comes down to the fact that he's essentially just a defensive zero and just doesn't really give you anything on that end and I I don't know if Pep if you have a guy that doesn't provide any sort of defensive resistance you need to sort of pick up that slack elsewhere on the field Mm -hmm. which then is sort of taking away from attacking options elsewhere on the field and i don't i I just think he's probably not willing to do that um with yaya especially at this age 
Is there anything there where you feel like he is getting all the controversy out of the way early? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know what I mean? That would be like, uh, it would be like us going in and be like, we're, it's, it's the first week of the football season, like the NFL season. Yeah. And we were like, and we've now removed Robert Mays from running about football. Yeah. That would never happen. <laughs> but let, let's, that would be like what it would be like, though. It would, be, it would just be, and then by week three, week six, people would yeah. be like, who's Robert Mays? It would be like if, but it would be like if, like, David Remnick came in and was like, Mays, you're out of here. Who's David Remnick? <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in the sense that, like, I think it's sort of a it's a it's a statement in a lot of ways, in yeah. addition to being a tactical system fit thing. And it's a thing that only Pep Guardiola can really do, because if it's we saw this with Andre Villas Boas a couple years ago, this young manager from Porto goes to Chelsea. All of these older Chelsea players can't play the sort of intense yeah. system he asked for. Um, and he tries to change things around and all of these older dudes are like, fuck you, buddy. Yeah, like, right. this isn't and then happen. there was a mutiny. That's not going to happen with Pep. No. Uh, and he's also already done a good job of clearly bringing in some of his own players mm -hmm. and convincing guys like Sterling to play the way he wants. Sterling looked like he could get back on track under Pep. Yeah. I mean, I think Sterling, his big thing last, or the thing with him is like, he's always getting into positions to score and then just fucking it up. So it looks like he's bad. But getting into those positions is very difficult to start with. Um, and he's a super active, just extremely athletic and fast um, attacking midfielder that at the worst, Pep is going to be able to use him as a like further up the field sort of destroyer. Right. Um, but in this game, and then they played in the Champions League uh, a couple Stop days ago. Rest, yeah. yeah, he was just creating chances left and right. Right. Um, and he I think we were joking we weren't really joking but we were talking about like if Raheem Sterling turns into 2011 Pedro that's huge yeah that would that would be incredible yeah um, um probably I don't know if he'll ever be able to finish like Pedro does but probably not but I think he can do some other things yeah. that maybe Pedro couldn't um for people who don't understand but have gotten 20 minutes into a Premier League <laughs> preview podcast briefly go to the tactics chalkboard and explain to me why when manchester city has the ball they're two fullbacks yeah funnel into the middle of the park creating almost a giant square but within that square of other midfielders lots of little triangles yeah what's uh, the advantage of that um the advantage is so typically you know your fullbacks sort of attack up the wing as your attack moves up moves up the field right and the with that, if you lose the ball, as we saw with this, will be the last Liverpool reference to the podcast. Uh, Arsenal's first goal, Alberto Moreno, Liverpool's yeah. left back was. Pushed I think up. it's like one of the. They lost the ball, and there's all this space in behind him. The lung busting run from a fullback is sort of yeah. one of the trademark things yeah. you think of when you think of so Premier you, League football. You, you lose the ball, and your one of your defenders is already behind the ball, and you're you're already playing. Um, you're disadvantaging yourself. But this way, the two fullbacks slide into the midfield, so they're still involved with the attack, and the opposition midfield has to deal with them, which then usually creates space between the midfield and the opposition defense. Right. So it sort of encourages you to play the ball down the middle of the field rather than up the sideline. And then if you lose it, the fullbacks just have to shift back out to the side right. as opposed to already being behind the ball and running 
back down the field. The thing with that is that central midfield is a very difficult position because you have to be seeing 360 degrees. I I like Clichy and Sanya, but nobody, I don't, I wasn't necessarily like, you joked earlier, but I don't think anybody is like, man, Clichy and Sanya are just so nice with their passing. No. And then the other thing (laughs) is playing as a fullback, you have the sideline right next to you. So like the field of vision and the degrees of the problems you have to solve with yeah, the ball are like half yeah. what they are as a center mid so typically as a fullback you just don't have that skill set um Bayern Munich had David Alba and Philip Lahm who are essentially like this is <laughs> kind of a sh- it's like if you want to see what the difference is between City and Bayern or City yeah. and Barca is in terms of talent you can kind of look at this issue mm-hmm. Pep's trying to do tactical things that he's done with some of the greatest club teams of the last 15-20 years yeah with a with a very very good City team yeah but if you were ever wondering what it would look like if Pep had to coach lesser players you're seeing it yeah exactly and it sort of maybe gives you a better appreciation for what he was doing will Okay, can you counter that? Like, can people? Is this as soon as he plays Everton, or as soon as he plays? Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, it could be even Stoke this weekend. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, for for the sake of argument, will a Premier League manager with some experience know how to counter that? I mean, I think part of it is you sort of put more bodies in the center of the field because that's where Man City's sort of sending their guys. And the other thing is you press the hell out of those two guys because if they lose the ball, there's only two or three people behind them. Yeah. Um, And attacking against three guys is much easier than attacking against 10 guys. Um, And I think you could sort of see it on Saturday. Clichy and Sanya were sort of, they took a second or two longer yeah, to really even make De Bruyne, a lot of who's decisions. like a very tactically astute and yeah. creative player was like we don't really know where we're supposed to like what we're supposed to be doing yeah here. exactly we're still learning these i all i mean guardiola divides the field up into these little zones and yeah a lot of it is read option you're in the zone you're supposed to be yeah. in but you can go here if this and if this then this and de bruyne who on it honestly probably had more space to play with than he has in two or three years mm-hmm. against uh against sunderland I, he was like, ah, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do all the time. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see because there is, I'm sure there is a way, a more simple way he could have played against Sunderland and they probably would have won yeah. much more like easily. Like kick the ball to Sergio Aguero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's doing this because he thinks the payoff for it in the long run is going to be way higher. Um, and it's you usually don't see that in soccer because everyone is so worried about yeah. losing their job and on the game in front of them. But he's got he's got it he's got the leash to do it. We would be remiss if we did not talk about Mark Hughes's school for aging starlets. One uh, one draw with Burrow is first Stokes result. Um, they probably feel like they are going to lose to City. I mean they they might feel that way, but they they probably will. Um, this kind of also will bleed into what I want to talk about with West Brom and Everton. But Stoke is in an interesting spot here of having a couple of talented players being in and out of the market for a couple of other talented players. But not really sure what you do if you're Stoke. You're not. You're probably not going to get relegated. I guess you can hope that a Boyan or a Sh- Shakiri or a Arnatovich gets takes a takes a leap. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was funny when um, Shakiri scored his his goal against Boro. He was about to get removed for John Walters, yeah. which is like kind of like <laughs> the specter that hangs yeah. at any given moment. Mark Hughes can just revert to the things that have kept yeah. Stoke in the league for the longest time. <laughs> um, do you think any of those guys have a next level to go to where they could still be successful for Stoke 
but not get bought by a bigger club? I don't think so, but I think what happened to Shakira? Isn't like why isn't he? He was at Bayern Munich. Like why isn't this guy? I don't know. I guess he's he's maybe just his numbers were sort of inflated by mm-hmm. all the talent around him at Bayern. Um, maybe having two fire hydrants as your legs is sort of something that can only last for like sure. a couple of years. Um, but I, the thing about Stoke is it's at least interesting. You can kind of see what they're doing. It's like you buy all of these failed phenoms, and if one of them hits and becomes like what he was supposed to become, it, it's going to vault your team up the table. And none of these guys have really become that, but they've all been fine. So it's like they're sort of solidifying their spot around 10th, mm-hmm. but still taking chances, which is kind of a, a nice place to be able to be in. Well, let's talk about West Brom and Everton then, because one of the things that happened with Stoke was uh, for a while, Arnautovic was up. There was he was he was debated about whether he was going to go to a different league. And yeah, get, and he wound up getting a pretty neat little pay rise from Stoke. I think he gets paid something like maybe even the eighties. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he's their fi- highest paid player. He um, should have a much better haircut than he has. Yeah, after getting that. yeah, he looks like uh, Aaron Baines from Australia's uh, yeah, the bleached, national basketball bleached thing. Aaron Baines. Um, West Brom, new owners, Everton, new owners, lots of money coming in. Um, West Brom bought by a Chinese consortium, Everton bought by an Iranian owner. Um, I Here's here's my take on, on a lot of the investment that's happening. I think it's going to be really cutthroat. I think that we could see clubs that people are possibly fans of or at least are really well-known clubs like basically become insolvent and fall away from mm-hmm. contention of in, in any like football league yeah. way. But I wonder whether or not this will act as like a smoothing mechanism, not a salary cap, but basically if there's money everywhere and mm-hmm. you're Riyad Mahrez or you are Romelu Lukaku or whoever, there's only so many places to play Yeah, if you're like, I have to play Champions League football. So if you stay with Everton, if you get a new contract with Stoke, if you get a new contract with West Brom because they have money, maybe it's not as much money as Man City or Manchester United, but that's if they can get up wage scale wise around sniffing distance of some of the bigger clubs, I think you might see talented players going to smaller teams like we have seen in the summer. Mm-hmm. And that could make a more competitive Premier League, which is what we are seeing. Yeah, I, I agree. And then there's also the idea of like maybe these guys stay with their teams for longer and the managers can sort of build for something yeah. rather than having to be Southampton where you're essentially you have like a 17 player chain for when this guy gets sold you're gonna replace him with this guy and then when he gets sold we're gonna replace him with this guy like that's the way to succeed as a lower level club and i think southampton coming from an like probably like some real financial dire straits and the club itself being you know people wondering whether or not the club is going to stick around yeah to to where they are is it is an incredible story but it must be sort of like what are we doing after a while yeah no i agree and then but the counter to that, or not the counter, the sort of one of the f- the paths in front of that is Everton has this money, but then they're just buying Yannick Belize. above average players I- from teams that are essentially as good as them. So maybe they're weakening these two teams. But like, well, that's what Man City did. Yeah, but they basically it, bought Arsenal. That's what they're doing. But Man-, Man City's winning the Premier League, and Everton by weakening teams below them, it's like the guys they're buying are gonna give you an eighth place finish. Well, on a short-term you know? level, solidifying your Premier League standing is pretty financially lucrative anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's true. But, like, 
is that what Everton is really going for? I think what the other cutthroat thing you're going to see is if people are investing all this money in clubs, and a lot of them are investing this money in clubs and saying things like the Aston Villa owner, which is like, I expect us to be one of the five biggest clubs in Europe in yeah. like six years. It's like you have to say that at this point. Every sure, but I could also that, that's that. also why people get fired after yeah. three months. Yeah, it's pretty rare that somebody who's got that kind of ambition is like, I'm going to let Roberto Di Matteo take us along very slowly. Yeah, you know, um, and I, I wonder whether or not Komen, like he's probably well paid over at Everton, but like in six months, if there's Roberto Mancini out there to yeah. hire, maybe maybe like he gets he gets canned the easiest thing to do is fire a coach it's hard to get rid of players ask ask <laughs> all these other teams carrying expensive strikers on their books that they don't want to play don't want to play yeah so with everton uh they're coming off a draw with tottenham i thought they played fine i thought tottenham looked a little bit dull yeah um you know west brom beat palace palace is the worst team points wise in this calendar year they just got christian benteke uh but West Brom, Tony Peel is making noises about West Brom stagnating, wanting to spend some money. Um, Saito Barino, like basically, has been exiled from this team, going from one of the like most electric talents in the Premier League to completely. If we feels like we've been waiting for him to leave for the past like three years. Yeah, I just it, whatever happened there, it sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add about West Brom and Everton? I thought Everton did sort of look pretty good in that game um in the sense good in the sense that they sort of puzzled tottenham in a lot of ways um and re- played them toe-to-toe and tottenham's you know a team we're talking about is i think we both predicted they would finish in the top four um mm-hmm. so that's sort of a positive for everton um west brom i just i don't ever have anything to say about them because it's they're gonna have a relatively solid it's like game. a boring version of I, they were a boring version of Southampton where basically they were a very efficient, yeah. financially prudent club who sold their best players. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't think I can remember the best player of West Brom who was sold though. Yeah. Well the, now the new West Brom thing is you just never play your best player. So then you can't sell them for anything. Right. I mean, I think as far as not playing your best players, I know that Tony Pulis has piped up a little bit about Jonathan Lecco, a uh, 17 year old forward that he is, reticent to expose too much to the premier league i you know i mean if if liverpool can lose raheem sterling like that i if you're tony pulis you probably know that if you play a teenager five times and he looks good he's gonna get bought yeah um but beyond that you know it's sort of the same yeah everyone on the team's six foot two they're probably not gonna give up a lot of goals he'll keep them up yeah he will and that's you know, that's what he does. This is what happens when we talk about teams outside the two top six. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's wrap up our weekend preview with a discussion of, I don't know if it's going to be the best game, but it will be the best side action is the clash of Italian managers, Walter Mazzari's Watford uh, hosting Chelsea, Antonio Conte's Chelsea. Uh, Watford drew one, one over the weekend. Chelsea won on Monday. Uh, kind of a, I guess, a quick turnaround for Chelsea, but I'm sure mm-hmm. Conte is just like inhaling rails of soccer right now and doesn't care. <laughs> uh, what did you think of Chelsea versus West Ham? Um, I thought Chelsea looked fine. Um, Any noticeable difference between uh, N'Golo Conte being there? Did you feel like he, he brought anything to the team? He's their big addition this year. It's tough to say because you think of Conte as a guy that can maybe sort of allow you to play um 
a couple more attacking type midfielders with him in the midfield and Conte played Nemanja Matic yeah, ahead of him. I love that. And Oscar who's, you know, always been an attacking midfielder but he's been best at being a defensive attacking midfielder so that midfield is just filled with dudes that are just going to tackle the hell out of you. Um, I know that um Batshuayi got a little bit of a run out. Did you did you like what you saw with him? Um I liked him more than what I saw with Diego Costa. I'm yeah. just ready for that guy to be out of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think they played well enough to win. Um, they looked better than they did last year for the most part. Um, it, I, I find it hard to believe that Fabregas is just not going to play. Like, I feel like you've got to... What's gotta, up with that? I, I mean, it's, it's probably another thing of, are you good enough as an attacker for me to like put these two guys next to you that are going to do all of the defensive work. What an interesting player. I know. I, you know, I, the what ifs with Fabregas, the what if he had stayed at Arsenal? Yeah. What if he had gone back to Arsenal after Barcelona instead of going to Chelsea? Obviously he won stuff with Chelsea. I'm not saying that he's yeah. not a happy player or whatever, but I don't feel like he ever got the credit he deserved as a player. And I think all the weird playing everywhere from the, next to Busquets in the back of the midfield to playing a false nine in Barcelona. Yeah. I, I don't know that he's never... He, he's he's a great footballer who never seems to have found the best position for himself in the second half of his career. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's But it's also funny to be talking about him as like a what-if when it's like he won the Premier League with Chelsea, he's won everything with Spain. Um, I guess certain players have a demeanor where you don't they don't necessarily feel like... When you watch Cesc Fabregas, he's a very easily, uh, I feel like he's, he's easy, easy to upset. And, you know, he, he can, ex- he shows his disappointment with how things are going pretty, pretty publicly. Yeah. And he's also the sort of like languid ish mm-hmm. guy that like when things are going well, you're kind of like, what are you doing? Well, especially like, now, yeah. since I think that's such like the defining thing about the Premier League this year is just going to be like industry and energy yeah. and freneticism. And mm-hmm. he's not a, I don't think of gig impressing when I think of Seth Fabregas. No, um, but the sort of comparison people were making, at least in the preseason, is when Conte took over Juventus, he had Andrea Pirlo, who's you know yeah. the greatest passing, attacking passing midfielder of all time, um, and he put uh, Vidal, Arturo Vidal, and Claudio Marchisio next to him, and sort of and Pogba and protected him with these more defensive players in front of him. And the idea was maybe you could do that with Fabregas as he's getting a little older. Well, yeah, and, and certainly if you wanted bodyguards, Conte and Matic would yeah, be the and best two for the job. Yeah, and it's just fun to see a team that has their playmaker deeper in the field than other teams. It just It's a different viewing experience yeah. as yeah, a yeah. fan. Um, and that didn't happen. It was just that very defensive midfield three. Um, as someone who likes watching soccer, that was kind of disappointing i'd like to see him get out there and like to see conte try to use him because he's such a creative manager but maybe it's just um they're just not going to fit together so for people i mean i know watford is not the most sexy thing to end on but uh watford pretty pretty decently last year watford Mm -hmm. a very good example of the cutthroat nature of the of the game right now like they've got rid of the manager who got them promoted the pta yeah like then then they got rid of kike sanchez flores um, who I think was sort of like a mutual disinterest in returning. Um, now they have Walter Mazzari, who uh, managed Napoli in, in Syria, is famous for playing a back three 
I think there's even some tension you said before between Conte and Masari about like who originated this sort of back three formation in Italy, right? Yeah, there's it's like his quotes were taken as if he said that Conte stole his idea of playing a back three and used it with Juventus, but Mazzari has said he was just complimenting him okay. for doing it. Um, I don't think Walter Mazzari was the first person in the history of soccer to, to play, play a back three. Uh, I'd have to look at inverting the pyramid, three. but I, yeah. He's also sort of famous. For... I'm still stuck on that that chapter in that book where it's just the entire village versus the entire other village, and it's like 27 versus 27. And no one's learned how to pass yet, so they're just like sprinting at each other full speed. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I want soccer to get to again. You can just um, watch MLS for that. <laughs> I'm surprised it took us that long to get that. Um, one thing I will say about Watford is much like Southampton where they lose players, and you're like, man, Southampton, and then they just have like five more guys that Liverpool will buy or mm-hmm. that Arsenal will want to buy. Um Watford has these other clubs that they are sort of a part of a mm-hmm. loose official, uh, like a relatively official partnership with this uh, with Udinese, right? Yeah. So I know the Pazza family used to own Granada. They still own Udinese. Mm-hmm. They own Watford now, and they are experts in just manufacturing decent players yeah. who come through their ranks and then they sell on for a profit. Yeah. It's a little bit. I don't think it's. I, I think that there's a lot of loan players, and that's what mm-hmm. people get kind of like. Well, it's sort of cheating, but you know, I, I I'm excited to see Watford has a pretty thin team, but maybe it's just mm-hmm. because we don't know the good ones yet. Yeah, and it's just sort of another. You know, we've talked about how Southampton tries to live in the mid the mid to upper table by doing what they do. Everton is apparently just buying players from the teams below them, and Watford has this other weird, yeah, sort of loan centric um, approach. Uh, I mean, they're last year they. They were interesting because they had uh, Troy Dini and Odion Agallo, mm-hmm. two strikers that played a very like old school forward pairing and just created a lot of havoc. And then sort of in the second half of the season, teams started to be like, that's all they have. There was an interesting, the, the contrast between watching Liverpool, between watching Man City, Arsenal, and some of these other teams that are playing either incredibly... Uh, precise counter pressing games, mm-hmm. or they're doing things like inverting their fullbacks or whatever. Yeah. And those, you know, Klopp and and Guardiola have gotten some, some have been made fun of for some of their quote unquote innovations. Yeah. But watching Middlesbrough or watching Watford <laughs> and or watching Stoke, it just be like wing drive down the t- 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 down the sideline to the touchline, cross, <laughs> knock it down. It There was a lot of, like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what soccer looks like. Yeah, I mean, that that's how Watford scored. They just played a ball to the end line, and I think Dini headed it back. To Kapue, who was yeah. a nice goal. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kapue is a guy that, um, you know, played for Tottenham. Watford, for whatever reason, he fell out with Pochettino. Watford picked him up, and he's, he might be their best player, you yeah. could argue. And that's just that's sort of another way to do it. You do know, you think they'll regret not selling Dini for like $30 million or whatever was the price tag on him? I feel like there's no way they, they don't regret it. But the other, I guess, possibility is the market's just so inflated that they, they, just don't, have they, to. they don't have to or they eventually sell him anyway. All right. Okay. Well, I feel like that's a, that's a good good look. We don't have to, to, to bother with Burnley and Bournemouth. Sorry, guys. Um, until next time, we'll probably be back next week, maybe around this time, to talk about week three of the Premier League. And then we might jump back in towards the end of the month, talk a little bit transfers, but there's an international break. So we won't be bothering you too much. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm Ryan O'Hanlon. Bye. Bye.